Well, by way of a brief recap, if you did get a, a, an outline there, um, as I mentioned, we've been in this, uh, this role, this, this uh, study of men's and women's roles in uh, masculinity, biblical masculinity and femininity. And so I thought what we'd do just briefly here at the beginning is do a, a little bit of a recap <clears throat> of kind of what we've talked about. You'll see that under the introduction recap there. So first we've seen in Genesis 127 that God created us in his image equally as male and female. Uh, we talked about <clears throat> that this design was part of what God intended from the beginning, before the fall. And then we've also looked at the differing roles of headship and submission that God designed for, the, for last week in the home and this week in the church, and how these reflect headship and submission in the Trinity and in the Gospel. So the concept of head, headship and submission we see from God's Word is not one is good, the other is bad but they're both part of God's good design and how he created us to image him. Uh, we talked about how in the Trinity that there are three persons who are equal in their deity yet have different roles. So the Father uh, speaks and the Son listens. He says, it's my will uh, that I want to do my Father's will. And then when we see how, how the Spirit plays a different role. But this joyful submission and headship in the Trinity is, again, something that we, <clears throat> we are created uh, as, as men and women to, to, to image. 1 Corinthians 11.3 we read, But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. So male and female roles in marriage reflect headship and submission that we see in the Trinity. And so we're going to see today some of that imagery carrying over into our life together as a church. So our goal this morning is to see how God equally values men and women in the church to advance his kingdom and how he uses us equally. The church is described in a number of ways in the New Testament, but we're going to briefly look at, at two kind of uh, key images that we see as one as a body, specifically the body of Christ, and two as a household, the household of God. And so as we submit to God's good design as men and women in God's household, we see blessing as we participate in the gospel ministry of the church. So quickly there, we'll look at, uh, at number two on your, on your outline. The church is the body of Christ. Um, so for some context here, we're going to look at this, uh, this description um, that he calls us as a people, as a body, through faith in Christ, to glorify him together by serving him in this world. And so as we saw last week when our brother Ben read from Ephesians 5.23, he read, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. And then in Colossians 1.18, we see, And he is the head of the body, the church. So as we talk about our roles in the church, it's important to remember that the church is not a man-made institution. It's not like something that we see in the world. So it's not a civic club, it's not a civic organization, it's not a sorority or a fraternity, but it's actually something that God has designed and that Jesus has purchased with his blood, we read in Acts 20, 28. So as we think about the church, we want to be in tune with what God has said about how he's designed the church and how he perfectly designed each of us to fit into that, into that body. So some things that we see in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 are two key passages in the New Testament where this body is described. So we don't have time kind of at the outset here to, um, uh, to go through all of those, but let me just read a few, passage, a few sections from 1 Corinthians 12. If you want to turn there, you can, but just listen. 
1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 7. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And then Paul talks about gifts uh, in Corinth, wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecies, tongues. And then in verse 11 he says, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And so we see here that it's God, the Spirit, who gives gifts to his people in the church. And he distributes them as he desires. And he distributes them equally, in one sense, to men and women. So you don't see here that it says that only women get certain kinds of things and men certain kinds of things. Now, we will see that God clearly has different roles that he's designed in the church, certain that only men are designed to fulfill in keeping with his design of headship and submission. But we see here that it's the Holy Spirit gives all of us, if we're in Christ, gifts to use for the common good in the church. Um, In 1 Corinthians 12, a little bit later, Paul says in verse 20, he says that every part of the body is important. As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. And then in verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is part of it. These verses highlight the unity and the diversity in the bodies. It means that everybody who God has put in the body is important. There's There's no sort of uh, part of the body that, that, that just doesn't really matter. If it doesn't show up, doesn't do its part, it won't matter. We see that in our human bodies. So I was just reading yesterday about, and Paul talks in, in, Rome, uh, in, in these passages too, about how parts of the body that are less honorable, we give more honor, things that are uh, less um, um, appealing, we give more, uh, we, th- that, are, that are covered. So I was, I, was, I was reading actually about a part of our human body called the epiglottis because I was having a coughing attack after trying to, to eat something and it went down the wrong, the wrong wind, the, went down my windpipe. But God's designed our human bodies with this little flap of cartilage in the back of our throats that just amazingly, all day long when we're breathing, it allows air in that goes down the right place. And then when we, when we eat and swallow or drink, it, it stops it from going into our windpipe. So something very small and, and simple like that is critical to the life of the body, and we see that throughout. So this picture that Paul's giving is that each of us, by God's grace and his goodness, has given us something to use, a gifts in the body. And so we're going to come back to this on a little bit later in application. Another uh, passage that ties to this, this idea of the, our unity in the body is Galatians 3, 26 to 28. Let me just read this, this briefly as well. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so again, this passage just underscores that in God's family, or as we'll see soon in his household, but in his body, um, every part plays a critical role. So to use a sports analogy, there's no varsity or JV team in the church. So there's no uh, <clears throat> A team, there's no B team. Now God does assign, using this sports analogy, certain positions to certain to men specifically, but every role is important. So using that analogy, I mean, you think if you're a goalkeeper, you have an important role on the team. And it's not to leave the goal and run up the field and try to score goals, because that's really what you want to do. You have a specific role that's been assigned to you and gifted you, you've been gifted to do, and so God wants us to, to, to fulfill those roles 
uh, in, in his team. So it's, it's, it's important to remember that, again, that, that uh, in the church, um, we, we see this un- the, the unity in our diversity, but in Christ, all of those things that would divide us in the world have been done away with, and we're all part of his wonderful body. Um, we see, as we saw last week in 1 Peter 3, 7, especially with men and women, so it's not better to be a man in the church or better to be a woman. There, there's, we're equal uh, before Christ, as women are fellow heirs of the grace of life that we read. So um, as we just kind of think through these, I'm going to pause right now um, because the rest of our time we're going to look at another image that we'll look at some passages on and how we live specifically in God's household. But as we think of the body, are there any, any comments, questions? Clear to everybody? Okay. Well, we'll continue. So looking at item three there in your, in your handout, the church is God's household. So this household imagery or, or a family is something that we see throughout the Bible. So God created Adam and Eve, the first two human beings, as a, the first family. Throughout the Old Testament, we see Israel described as the, as the house of of Israel or God's house, where there's the, 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 the fathers of, of, of that nation. And God was working through his people as, as a family. And then clearly in the New Testament, as we'll see, the church is described as the household of God. Listen to 1 Timothy 3.15. Paul says this to Timothy as the reasons he's giving guidelines to him that we're going to read in a little bit. He says, that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So this household is a family. So Jesus taught his disciples to pray, our Father who is in heaven. So we come as members of Christ's family and we pray to our Father in heaven. In 1 Timothy 5, Paul tells Timothy, and he uses this this imagery of, of the household. He says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Treat younger men like brothers, older women like mothers, younger women like sisters in all purity. And in the the very good book that I think uh, um, John mentioned in our first week, Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, there's a chapter in there that's called The Church as a Family. And this is how the writer describes the church as a family. He says, just as husbands and fathers ought to exercise godly leadership in their human families, so wise, mature men ought to be appointed as fatherly leaders in the church. A particularly important role also belongs to more mature women. Like wise mothers of the church, they are to train their spiritual daughters by example and word. But just as in the case of marriage, the respective functions of men and women are not reversible in all respects. Men and not women are called on to exercise the decisive fatherly leadership as elders. So a good, a good sort of summary in the scripture passages, we're going to look at some of those from 1 Timothy 3 and then Titus 2. Um, and so as we see here that God has given guidelines for this, this, this household, and that's what we're going to look at the rest of, uh, rest of our time. So if you um, have your Bibles with you, let's turn to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. <clears throat> And if I could get somebody who could read verses um, 8 through 14. 
desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectful apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Okay, thank you, Peter. So we, just a little background before we dive into this passage. So the church at Ephesus, where, where Timothy was pastoring, had been, der, been under attack by false teachers, and we see that in, in, chapter, in chapter 1 and in other places. Um, apparently these false teachers had tried to teach things like uh, certain foods were off-limit, that uh, marriage was forbidden for Christians, and other doctrines that was, was stirring up the church and taking them away from their, from their gospel ministry. And we see here that uh, in, in 1 Timothy 1 and 2, that um, the target of, of these false teachers was, in many uh, cases, young widows. Um, and it also appears that they were encouraging women to throw off <clears throat> um, the long-standing biblical role of women in favor of a more independent, egalitarian lifestyle. So oftentimes we think it's just our culture that, that, is, that is pushing God's standards and norms, but we see basically since the garden and the curse and the fall that, that, that has been the case. So Paul writes to Timothy, and he wants him to set things in order, and so he gives these, these, these guidelines. So let's walk through them <clears throat> um, uh, verse by verse here. So the first thing we see in 1 Timothy 2.8 there was that the men are exhorted to pray, lifting holy hands without anger and quarreling. So the command here that Paul tells Timothy is that he, he wants the men here to pray with a right heart attitude. And just by brief way of application, as we think about being men in this church, may this mark us as men, that we would be men who are, who are fervent in prayer, who are zealous in prayer, who lift up the ministry, who lift up the families, to lift up the single people, lift up this church, church in prayer with pure hearts before God and our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, what Paul's not saying here is that the women shouldn't pray. That's, that's clear, because we, we know from other passages in 1 Corinthians 11, 5, uh, that women, women pray. Uh, we see, I was just thinking um, of, just, of, of godly women in the Old Testament. Hannah, who was a prayer warrior. Uh, Anna in the New Testament, who was given to, to, to faithful prayer. Um, and so, clearly here, though, his focus is on men. And so the, 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 the exhortation is to us as men that we would, we would pray without anger and quarreling, with, with uh, zeal and passion for the Lord. And then he, he switches then and he speaks to the women, again, in light of sort of what was happening <clears throat> there in Ephesus in verses 9 to 11. So uh, we're in uh, that uh, bullet number, small number two there um, <clears throat> on, the, on the bottom there of the, of the page. In verses 9 to 11, he speaks to the women about the way they were dressing. And so in the ancient world, um, flamboyant dress was, was <clears throat> often a signal of a woman's bid to be independent from the authority of her husband, of men, particularly her husband. And so in light of this, he's speaking directly to, to Timothy that the women should dress a certain way to keep their hearts in check and to exercise self-control self by dressing more modestly. 
And by doing this, it was a, to be an outward reflection of a heart that was submissive to the divinely ordained role that God had given and also to honor their husbands. And we saw some of this last week as Ben led us through First uh, Peter 3, f- wives and husbands, where wives uh, were um, exhorted not to let their outward beauty be what marked them, but the beauty of a, of a quiet and gentle spirit, which is of, of great worth in the sight of God. And we don't have time this morning, as I said, we're, um, to go through every passage that deals with this, but, but this is a similar, appears to be a similar issue that was going on in Corinth when Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11 of insubordination of, of, of women appeared to have been rearing up in the hearts of some women who were emboldened to prophesy and pray in meetings without covering their head, which was considered shameful and dishonoring to their, to their husbands. So just by way of application, just as we think through this, uh, sisters, um, as, as Paul exhorts Timothy, that in our day, um, in the world around us, uh, women don't dress um, with modesty to protect the hearts of men. Um, as fact, as one pastor told me, uh, or quoted, and it's true that generally in the culture around us, the goal of, a, a, of, of many women and how they dress is to, is to seduce men. Um, one pastor said, uh, the motto of the world is men love to lust and women love to be lusted after. So for a Christian woman, um, it is loving thing to dress in such a way that honors her husband if she's married or that doesn't put a stumbling block before men around her, especially her brothers in Christ. So this doesn't mean clearly that, uh, that godliness is, is equated to just how you dress or that you can't dress nicely or look nice. Physical beauty and braided hair are not evil in the, of themselves. We see uh, in the scriptures, uh, Rebecca and Rachel were described as women attractive in appearance and beautiful in form and appearance, respectively, in, in Genesis 26 and 29. But they weren't vainly flaunting uh, their beauty or dressing in such a way to seduce men um, or be rebellious. In fact, I, I believe it was, was when Rebecca was coming back to first meet Isaac that she, she put her veil on. So there's a respect there and an honor in how... In how and how she dressed and showed that um, before her husband. And then in verse 11, he continues uh, exhorting um, women. He says that they are to learn quietly with all submissiveness. So this learning quietly here um, in the New Testament is, there's different words, but in in this sense, it's described in the sense of, of kind of an unruly crowd or a group of people where it's loud and you're trying to get their attention to say, okay, let's settle down, everybody. You know, we're, we're ready to start. So apparently that's the, the issue that was being addressed here um, uh, by Paul to Timothy, that uh, some of the, the, the women there in, in Ephesus, <clears throat> particularly that were mentioned in 1 Timothy um, 5.13, going house to house, gossiping, being busybodies, were told to be quiet and stop stirring up trouble. Um, so they and, and others that were trying to usurp, usurp authority of the leaders were to be silent so that God's word could, could be proclaimed. So this is a picture of, of the women there in Ephesus of being, of being quiet, having a spirit of, of submissiveness and quietness as the word was preached. Now it doesn't mean, clearly, as, as, as um, <clears throat> it wasn't a specific that, that no woman should ever say anything in church. So when there's preaching or, or something that's uh, singing and a woman says amen or hallelujah or preach it, that, that is fine during the service. <laughs> so please, sisters, if, if you're encouraged by God's word and the spirit moves you, amen. Um, 
but but it is it is saying that um, there is a there is a spirit that is not uh, loud and wanting to to usurp authority, and I wanted to briefly add this because I, I did think it was important um, to mention First Corinthians fourteen thirty four and thirty five. The women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Now, some have viewed that as an absolute restriction that women should not speak it at all, open their mouths uh, in the church. But in 1 Corinthians 11.5, as we mentioned, women did pray and prophesy, done in the proper respectful way, showing submission uh, to her head, her husband. So some commentators help clarify 1 Corinthians 14. So you could say, well, isn't there a little bit of a contradiction there between 11 and 14? Um, <clears throat> but what was helpful in, in, in some commentators clarifying that the apparent contradiction is that in 1 Corinthians 14, 29, um, when there was a word of prophecy spoken, that there were others in the congregation who would weigh what was said. They would test the, prophets, uh, the prophecies. And that, that fell to the, the overseers or the leaders of the church and was forbidden for women to participate in. So this is how Piper and Grudem in Recovering Biblical Manhood sort of describe that setting. They say, women are taking a role here that Paul thinks is inappropriate. This is the activity in which they are to be silent. In other words, what Paul is calling for is not the total silence of women, but a kind of involvement that signifies in various ways their glad affirmation of the leadership of the men God has called to be their guardians and the overseers of the flock. So just wanted to bring that verse in since we weren't going to be able to, to, to get to it. But back in 1 Timothy 2.11, so this submissiveness has, uh, has to do with the role relationship between men and women that we've been talking about. And it's a general disposition among women that encourages the leadership of the men. So a couple of just brief examples in scripture that I think that kind of pull this out um, in Luke 10, 38 to 42, uh, where Jesus is speaking to Mary and Martha, if you remember that account. And Martha's very, very busy. She's running around doing things. And Mary is sitting, said, she, it says sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to his teaching. Um, and so we see that picture of, of, submissive, of submissiveness there, of sitting and, and listening to the teaching. By contrast, another example, a negative example, would be Aaron and Miriam in Numbers 12, if you remember that account. So um, Aaron and Miriam didn't like Moses' wife, thought he was inappropriate, and they thought, you know, I think Moses has taken this a bit far. And we read there in, in, um, in Numbers 12 uh, where they say, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not also spoken through us also? And so um, while they were both guilty, Miriam, especially in that rebellious heart, that's not the heart that, that God expected of a, a godly woman, wanted to take the authority of, of Moses, and, and she was afflicted temporarily with, with uh, leprosy. So I think just, just good examples of, of, of the right heart that Mary showed. So then we'll continue on in um, verses 12 to 14, where it talks about uh, women are not to teach or have authority over men. So these are the two, two restrictions that we see Paul gives Timothy in the church here. Um, he says that women are not permitted to teach or exercise authority over a man. And then in verses 13 and 14, we'll see the two reasons. And so let's look at each little part of this. So the first restriction is that women are not permitted to teach. And so <clears throat> this teaching is referring to the public proclamation in the assembly where God's word is, is, is spoken, where, it's, where doctrines are, um, 
are, are given. And at the, in the New Testament time, it would have been the oral traditions of the apostles, and then later, their, their written inspired words of the New Testament scripture. Um, so this is the kind of speaking that somebody gifted by the Spirit would do to bring instruction and doctrine to the congregation. <clears throat> and this kind of teaching often is done, as we see in the New Testament, by, by the elders, the overseers, who are, who are charged um, with <clears throat> overseeing the church and certainly the doctrine of the church and need to be able to teach. Um, let's just pause a moment, though, here, though, because you could look at that and say, all right, it says that I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. So what we shouldn't take from this is that that God doesn't want women to teach, because we know from other places in the scriptures, in the church, there are appropriate ways and where women should be teaching. Um, so actually, that, that verse in verse 12 might more accurately be um, understood as, I do not permit a woman to teach a man, and I do not permit a woman to exercise authority over a man. So the simp that simply means that the role of instructing the church from the scriptures is, is restricted to men. But women are expected and instructed and encouraged to instruct other women. Um, uh, Titus 2 that we've, we've, we've read, that John preached on recently. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. So a woman who's gifted in teaching, and many sisters here are, use that gift in its appropriate context with other women and with children. So the second restriction we see here is that uh, women are not permitted to have authority over a man. And again, this is exercising control or um, um, overseeing, overseeing men in, in, in the life of the church. So in the New Testament, in the especially the pastoral epistles, this ruling or governing function is ascribed to the office of, of pastor, teacher, elder, overseer, which are all, are all synonymous. 1 Timothy 3.5, we'll see here in a moment, um, gives the qualification for an elder in the church as, <clears throat> as one who cares for the church in the same way he manages his home. So in 1 Timothy 5.17, we're also told that the pastors um, who rule well are worthy of, of, of special honor. So you see this managing and ruling picture taken from the home as, as, as being part of the church. And that is specifically um, only uh, open to men. And this is the main reason why we believe the Bible teaches that we only have men serve as elders here at Delray Baptist Church. Sure, please. It's even, it's, I mean, it's even certain kinds of men. Right. Suffer a certain amount. 
just seems like that's always the danger we're in as men or women of either going after the glory, going after the yeah. power, yeah. or exercising leadership in a certain way and being unfaithful. And yeah. The Lord's always going to give instructions to both men and women of here's, yeah. here's how you're to fight that temptation. Yep. Um, to seek the glory and to seek the power of yourself. Amen. That's that's great. And we'll we'll see too when we look at the qualifications for elders and deacons. So Clearly, not every man is qualified to, 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 to teach or be a pastor. And so it's not, it's not a, um, uh, and, and God has put us in different places and we should be, be grateful for, for where he's put us. It's good. Um, well, let's look briefly then. We'll continue here on the, um, on the, on the reasons that he gives. So verse 13, he, he just goes back to creation. For Adam was formed first and then Eve. Um, so, again, this is not an argument of competence or ability um, in anything or, or anything like that, but it's to, it's to communicate um, God's truth that he intended to, guard, to guide and guard his people in this life. So Adam was created before Eve, giving him the honor and responsibility to lead her. And that Eve was created after Adam and was given the honor uh, and responsibility to be his helper. So... For a woman to, to flip those roles and for a man to abdicate those, uh, his leadership would be to work against God's good design. So that's one of the reasons he, 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 he gave us there. And it's, I think it's important, too, because this, this really is, um, in our culture, very, very, very um, uh, odd. I mean, this kind of thinking and what we're reading about Paul here saying is is completely counter to the 21st century culture that would say, like, that's very first century male chauvinistic domineering kind of thinking. I mean, you could almost, I made this up, but I could think that this is, this is what perhaps has gone through some of your minds and, and even, you know, at times, you know, wondering. So she's got a seminary degree. She's a gifted Bible teacher. She has leadership skills. Why would God not want her to preach and bless the congregation as a pastor? And on top of that, she's more spiritually and theologically mature than many men I know in the church. So that might be a, a thought that could go through somebody's mind. But we're not the only generation who's thought those things or been progressives, as we said. And the ultimate reason we submit to what God has said in his word is because his ways are good. And he's designed an order and a structure that glorifies him. And it's how, how as, as, as John pointed out in the very beginning, it's, it's how we're designed. And when we delight in the design God's given us, um, we will be blessed and God will be glorified. So the second reason he gives, though, is that, that in verse 14, that Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. So some would say, well, okay, so he's done this because women are more, or more gullible. Well, that would be a, not a good interpretation because there's nothing in this that, that even with Eve that said, um, she was deceived because of her gullibility. Um, 2 Corinthians 11.3 speaks of all of us, men and women, as being able to be deceived. But I am afraid, he, Paul writes, uh, 2 Corinthians 11.3, but I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And another reason that it, he, he, it, this doesn't make sense that it was because women are more gullible is that Women are told to teach, as we said. They're told to teach women. They're told to teach children. So it wouldn't, it wouldn't make sense at all for, for him to, 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 to make that argument. Um, but it, a better interpretation is just that 
Adam was not the um, <clears throat> was not the of, of Adam was not the one deceived is that he makes it clear that he's not the one who failed the test. Um, so the point is that the serpent didn't go to Adam as the head. He, he, he defied that order and went to Eve, putting her in the position of spokesman and leader and defender. So verse 14 is really more about the serpent strategy bringing about deception amongst God's people by tempting men and women to reject their God-given roles. Satan wants men to be passive and indifferent towards God's command, and he wants women to come out from under the protection of men so that they can be deceived. So we see that both the reasons that God gives here are rooted in God's original plan for creation. God created men to lead, so for a woman to rebel against that male leadership rejects his design. Now, this doesn't mean um, that, a, that a, a woman can never teach a man anything, clearly. So there are places in scriptures, um, in fact, Acts 18, 24 to 26, you might remember with Apollos, who, who was gifted, um, but he needed some, some fine-tuning in his doctrine. And so it was Priscilla and Aquila who took him under their wing and, and taught him. So clearly you have a husband and a godly woman teaching a man and helping him in the right context. So a huge, a huge blessing that we see there. Um, so, um, <clears throat> but what we see from 1 Timothy 2.12 in the church with the leadership, um, Paul forbids it. Now this doesn't mean that a woman can't share the gospel with a man either. So clearly... Um, God commands us to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, and so women can share with men, and men can share with unbelieving women. Now, there should be some, obviously, some, some wisdom, depending on the, the context of how that sharing goes on, but uh, we see that happening. Uh, the, the first women to share the good news of the resurrection were, I mean, the first people were women that went and told the, apost uh, the apostles. Um, and I just was thinking, too, that my pastor in Texas, who's a, just a dear brother and his wife, I mean, his testimony was, he was interested in then his wife, before she was his wife, and he wasn't a believer. He was on drugs, a you know, surfer in California. He liked her, but he said, she said, you can come to church with me. Come to church with me and my family. And so she shared the gospel with him, and many, many, many years later, um, he was pastoring a church and serving the Lord. So a dear, godly um, sister led him to Christ and, and became his husband, his wife. Her wife, her husband, her husband. You know what I mean. <laughs> um, so we're going to, let me stop there. That was a, a lot. Um, let me just stop for a brief second and questions, comments, thoughts. Thank you, John, for um, on that. Because we're going to get to men now. So this, Paul, mostly focuses there on, on, on women, but um, we, we want to jump into to, to men here in a second. Yeah. I was listening to a podcast by John Piper, and he was talking specifically about this whole transgender issue mm. and what's going on and how it's nothing more than a, another rejection of the roles of men and women. Mm. And it's, and yeah. it's and gives God's design plan for us. Yeah. That that's, you know, and, and as, as the world gets darker, we're seeing yeah. it in more dramatic fashion how we reject God as a design for us. Yeah. Well, and by God's grace, may we as, as, as believers and as members of the church live in such a way that it, it, it glorifies those beautiful roles and designs God's given us. Yeah, Connie. I have a question. Actually, two questions. Mm -hmm. um, it's that someone has to have accountability. And mm -hmm. if, if everyone 
one's trying to lead, there's no one who has accountability, and that's what we see in the world today. Mm -hmm. There's no accountability for anyone, mm -hmm. you know, because there's no leadership. Mm -hmm. And the, the other thing I thought when you said about Eve, um, she coveted, and he's showing coveted, coveting has a price, mm -hmm. and that's, that's like an eternal mark right there yeah. that shows you what the price is. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, just like, yeah, um, as we read in, in, that, in, in 1 Corinthians 11, you know, that there's this, this, this headship, this order that, you know, we're, Christ is, is our head. He's the head of the church, so we're accountable to him. So everybody in the church is accountable, is accountable to Christ, and he puts safeguards to, 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 protect, to protect the congregation. Yeah, yeah Heather. Um, when you explained why um, about Adam being created before Eve and that the serpent no, that wasn't a, that wasn't a quote. That was just that was from the text. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. That let me go back to that. Yeah, and 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 um, much of this is is helpful and and comes from good good resources from 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 uh, CHBC. Um, okay, let's find it real quick. Let me get it to you afterwards. I'm, 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 my pages are a little bit off here. Right, and, and so being passive. I can give you the exact thing. First question to Adam is, it seems like diagnostic for the whole situation when he calls and says, where are you? Yeah. <laughs> You're not. That sort of sums up the whole scene. Yeah. Adam, yeah. where are you? Yeah. And they both had a consequence. It was just a different consequence. Yeah. One. They, were, they were both pronounced as doing something wrong. They were both sinned. Yeah. It's just they had God held them accountable with different consequences. Yeah. Yeah. Garrett? Good. Yep. Well, let's, uh, in the last 15 minutes, we'll go kind of quickly through, just uh, continuing in 1 Timothy 3, the qualifications for elders and deacons. So verses 1 through 7 deals with elders. And if somebody could turn there and, and read that, and then we'll, we'll, we'll finish up with the role of, of deacons, which is uh, um, 
three, one through seven? Yeah, three, one through seven, and then somebody, if somebody wants to get eight through, well, we'll just, let's read the elders first. Go ahead, so Jeremy. Thank you. Yeah, so here we see qualifications for, for, for elders um, or overseers. The word there, overseer, in verse 1 is guardian or keeper. Um, same word used for Jesus in 1 Peter 2.25 is the overseer of our souls. Um, and so we see that, that the, the, the elder qualification includes a number of things, um, but specifically, it mentions the ability to teach. And we're going to see that's a, a distinction between what the deacon qualifications are. Um, so we read there in verse 2, he's the husband of one wife, implies that he's a man, and who manages his own house well. And again, we, we talked about how managing your own house is reflected in managing the household of God. Um, but the other qualities that are, that are listed there um, really should mark, um, in all Christians, certainly men, um, in the church, so being sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, um, if God's gifted you to teach, but not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, um, and, 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 and so on. So these are not out, uh, outstanding uh, uh, characteristics in a way that are just like setting something, this, this bar, uh, way, way above. These, these should mark Mark the men of the church, and, and we should seek by God's grace to, to emulate these, these characteristics. Um, and I just wanted to say, too, um, next Sunday, after the morning service, I think in this room, we're going to have three brothers, uh, Merck Payton, um, uh, Chris Dish, and Micah Walters, whom the elders have put before the church um, to, to be voted on in our next members meeting on the 12th uh, as elders. And so these dear brothers um, are going to come and it's a chance to ask them questions. And so as you think about what an elder should look like, this is where we see the scriptural reasons. So in a lot of churches, there's kind of like, well, we, want, we think this guy, he's a great businessman. He'd be a great elder. It's not with the Bible. The Bible doesn't give us those qualifications. That, that's not a qualification from scripture. So this and Titus 1 are the things that we want that we as elders and prospective elders uh, should be measured against by God's grace. And so may God continue to raise up men uh, that, that fulfill these qualities. So let's flip over to deacons, 8 to 13. If somebody wants to read that, 1 Timothy 3, 8 to 13. Mm-hmm. and also great confidence in the faith 
Thank you. Yeah, so the, the role of deacon, as we see here, uh, many similar characteristics, but as I mentioned, um, one of the things that's not included is, is the ability to teach. So deacons are given to carry out specific ministry tasks in the church. It's been described as, uh, if, if the church were a car, they're like shock absorbers. The, the, they're those in the church that, that help take care of um, uh, physical needs and those kinds of things to bless the body. Um, and so this role, because that's one of the differences, and then the other difference is <clears throat> that this, this, while elders are only open to men, this role um, uh, may be open to women. So in verse 11, where it talks about their wives, the word wives there can also be translated women. It's, it's I think, gune, um, and so depending on the context. So there have... Um, Godly people can have differing views there as to exactly whether that would allow women to be deacons um, or not, but um, um, uh, we view that, that that verse referring to women in, uh, opens uh, deacon role, roles to women. And one of the reasons we see is that the word for deacon, diakonos, in verse 8 there is the same word that's used uh, in Romans 16.1, so where we read, I commend you, our sister Phoebe, um, a servant or deacon of the church in Sancria. And so using that, uh, that word and, and just how Paul refers to Phoebe um, as, as, as a messenger um, <clears throat> would seem that she was recognized um, uh, in, in that position as a deacon. So those two roles are the two roles that God's given, given for the church. Um, and so those are the, those are the, the, uh, the, the positions that, that we have um, <clears throat> have here. In the last few minutes, I just thought maybe what we do is look at some applications um, of, of some of the things that we have shared, uh, read, and there on the, I think it's on the, yeah, the last part of your, your handout. Um, so as we think about the church and, and what it is, as we mentioned, it's a body, it's the household of God, it's, it's his it's his church. He, he has designed it to, to serve him and to be a beautiful, radiant glory. It's to, uh, um, in Ephesians, uh, let's see if, um, three, uh, 10, we read this about the church. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so God has, has created the church. He's, uh, Christ has purchased it. He's, he's the head of the church. And so as we think about how the Holy Spirit is the one, as we read earlier, who gives gifts, um, just want to encourage us all to give thanks for how God has, has gifted you in whatever way that is to serve here in the church. So every person's part of, of the body is, is, is vital to the life of the church. Um, in 1 Corinthians 12, 11, and 18, we realize that it's the Holy Spirit who has gifted you and assigned this vital role. Um, and this should fill us with joy and thanksgiving that, that God has, as we, that he is using us as we seek to love him as, as the family of God here. Um, and we should, by God's grace, just fight any worldly thinking that being the mouth is better than being the hand or the, the eye or the, or, or, or the foot. Um, because God is pleased the way we serve out of love for him and one another. And I was just thinking, this is not an exhaustive list, but it is a long list. I think I have a couple minutes. I just wanted to read. These are some of the ways that 
you all, as, as members of the body here at Delray Baptist Church, serve the Lord and serve one another. And, when, and God is pleased with when we offer it out of love for him and love for one another. So things like serving in nursery and childcare, teaching Sunday school, making meals for, the, for sick members or moms with new babies, hall monitoring, setting up our new church library, giving rides to church and medical appointments, recording meeting minutes, playing piano, guitar, other instruments, singing heartily in worship, undergirding the ministries of the church with your fervent prayers, um, praying for one another in the directory, preparing the Lord's Supper elements in the baptistry, discipling each other over meals, helping someone move, sharing the gospel with neighbors, opening your home to hospitality, doing sound, visiting elderly members, giving generously of time and money for the ministries of the church and the spread of the gospel, lovingly correcting each other, emailing scriptures during the week to each other, remembering God's promises, greeting members and welcoming visitors, counting offering, doing the church budget, doing the bulletins each week, serving those in need outside the church to show his love, watching kids for one another, preparing Bible study and Sunday evening talks, weeping with those who weep, fellowshipping with your community groups, setting up and tearing down for events, helping weddings, giving rides to the airport, emailing encouragements to missionaries, rejoicing with those who rejoice, teaching women's Bible study, loaning your possessions, and on and on. So as we think about how God has gifted us to love one another and serve one another, um, these are the kinds of things that even Jesus said, you know, they said, when did, when did we come, when did we do this for you. He said, what you did for the least of these, you did for me. When, when did we visit you in prison? When did we, these are the things that as we serve one another and we serve those outside, we're showing that we are, are, are doing our part by God's grace in the body. Every role we play in Christ's body is valuable. And so may we fight a worldly view that only certain power positions in the church are really valuable. And then finally, use your gifts to joyfully and diligently serve the body. We'll just look at a couple uh, scripture passages. If somebody could look up um, 1 Peter 4, 7 to 11. Somebody have that? And then somebody, uh, Romans 12, 6 to 8. So if somebody has 1 Peter 4, 7 to 11, these are just encouraging passages as we think about using and joyfully serving in the body. Somebody have it? And the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded mm. for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belongs mm. forever and ever. Amen. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Amen. And does somebody have Romans 12, 6 to 8? Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in um, proportion to your faith, if service in serving the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Mm, amen. Amen. So just these, these wonderful reminders of, of using what God's given us as we serve one another. And I just want to say that 
our desire is that, that the men and women at, at DRBC run and service using your gifts. Um, uh, as elders, part of our job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, and so we want men and women to be flourishing in the, in the body. Um, if you're a woman, God's gifted you to teach, use your gift. Teach in the church in the appropriate context. Teach women, younger women, teach children. Grow by grace uh, in that. Go for it. Um, as, as has been said here by, by Pastor Garrett and, and others, you know, as a woman, you can pretty much do anything in the church except be an elder and teach a man. That's, that's pretty much the only two things, and, and everything else um, is, is, is part of what God calls us all to do. Um, and I just wanted to close with um, the, the main idea, because as I was looking through my notes um, from John's sermon a couple weeks ago from Titus 2, um, I think this sums up kind of the, the, the main idea for, for <clears throat> what we pray we would see here from Titus 2, 1 to 8. The main point was the church is the place where older men and older women teach good and healthy things and where all men and women live out good and healthy things so that God may be glorified in all things through his church. So that's our desire and that's our prayer. So. With that, um, it looks like we have a, just a couple minutes. So if anybody has a comment, thought, yeah. Hey Eric, um, going back to uh, this whole idea of, of the role of, of women te- teaching or not teaching. You know, it's interesting. You know, we spent a lot of time in First Timothy. Mm-hmm. Paul's writing to his son in the faith, right, whom he set, sent to Ephesus to, to lead mm-hmm. this church, this mm-hmm. young man. And uh, multiple sections of Scripture teach us or show us that he was a product of his mother, yeah. you know, yep. of his grandmother, yep. Lois, who yep. taught him the faith. Amen. So it's kind That's of, good. Very you know, good. Abs- the power of, of, you know, of that teaching. Yeah. Amen. That's a great, great point. Yeah. Godly mother and godly grandmother. I was just um, listening, or we were reading the other day in, uh, I believe, in, in, in Numbers with um, Zelophehad's daughters, his five daughters. And, you know, they didn't have a father, and they were going to lose their inheritance, basically. But these godly women went to Moses, who went to the Lord, and the Lord says they're right. They shouldn't, they shouldn't lose their thing. And so this, this idea of there's no distinction. There's no, um, we're his children, whether we're men or women, and we should come boldly to, to him and, and seek to, to serve in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, so the the the, the different interpretations for the, the in the in the um, in the deacon thing is that in that verse eleven, um, an interpretation is that he's actually he's talking about deacons, and then he talks about women who could be deacons, and then he goes back talking to male deacons, which seems odd. Um, but the other argument then is that if he would give requirements for a deacon's wife, why wouldn't he give them to an elder's wife? And so. There are godly views that can hold both, both sides, but the main point um, is that deacons don't teach and don't have authority over men. So they don't teach men or don't have authority over men. So that's, um, but, but certainly there, yeah, are, can make a godly argument either way. Would you also say um, that, again, the, the office of deacon is, be, you know, is below Under the, the office elders. of the elders. Right, 
right? Right. So the elders are overseeing all of it. Right. And, then and they're supporting the, the elders and, and, and the whole church. So, good. All right. Well, thank you all. Why don't I, uh, actually, Garrett, would you close us in prayer? Sure. All right. Father, well, thank you for your, yeah, your wisdom as you design this world to, to yeah, display your, your glory, your very character, um, and the way that you have set that up in the, in the home, in the church. And thank you for, in your wisdom, the different roles and responsibilities you've given each of us. And we pray that we would be a humble people who love your word, love your designs, and rejoice in your goodness and uh, the way that you, uh, you say things all work. But we confess how easy it is for us to... Uh, always want to squirm under that, but uh, we, we thank you that you are good and you are wise, and we pray uh, that this church be marked by men and women who love you, mm-hmm. who love one another, who build each other up, and who edify each other, and uh, that you would use that, that witness of unity and diversity mm-hmm. for the glory of your name among the nations. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. Thank you all.